Gentlemen, we are dealing with the undead. Mas, Feralto. Yes, Nosferatu. The undead. The vampire. According to the legends of my people, the last Khan Dracula became one of the undead. A vampire. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Welcome to the now playing Universal Films Dracula Movie Retrospective Series. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Hosted by Jacob. Oh, and I have waited an eternity for a man of your strength, your gifts, your will. Arnie. I am considered somewhat of an authority on the subject. And Stuart. We've all become God's madmen. All of us. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Run to your mother. We hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's eat. Today we're discussing Renfield. Starring Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz, Adrian Martinez, and Nicholas Cage. Directed by Chris McKay. This is Arnie, the now playing Child of the Night. And Stuart. And this is your only salvation, your only friend, the only one that cares, Jacob. Welcome back, folks. We're, we're picking up the Dracula retrospective. It's been like a good two months. Wasn't that last year? It feels so long ago. Mm-hmm. What was that one even called? Untold? unremembered (laughs) it's so long ago since we had that last installment but i've been curious about what our count would do next and this is a real left turn right they say this is a sequel to the 1931 bella lugosi movie but i don't know maybe not in spirit todd browning would never do so many pickup shots to show this much blood (laughs) ain't that the truth so who is responsible for this what do you guys know about christopher mckay Lego Batman. That's about it. Robot Chicken? I mean, when I looked him up, I used to watch Robot Chicken a hell of a lot. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen his stuff on there. I don't know which skits he did. Yeah, he feels like one of us, right? One of those Gen Xers that likes to make fun of pop culture. He wrote the story for that recent D&D movie, Tomorrow War. That one, ooh. Oof, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. I mean, they ended up dumping it on Prime, but... That was his big action spectacle that I guess shows that he's better being sarcastic. Who starred in that? Was that Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons team up. Okay, I did see that one. Yes, it was not great. It was dreadful. Anyway, sarcasm. That was not how I saw Renfield going. Honestly, before there was a trailer, I hear sequel to Dracula and, you know, I saw one still of Nick Cage. I thought they could have played this straight. But I should have known with this man attached to it that it was going to have snark and plenty of it. And, you know, Lego Batman was good. When I saw the trailer, it was kind of both a disappointment and a reassurance. It was an adjustment. I went from like, okay, well, this will be nothing like what we've talked about before, but maybe entertaining in its own right. It's Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. How can that not be entertaining? The moment I saw this trailer, I was kind of like, unbearable weight of massive talent last year. I saw this trailer, 
And I'm like, this movie excites me as a concept. It looks fun. It looks funny. It looks like Nicolas Cage going over the top. I want to review it for now playing. We did Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. We found a way into this. This is a universal picture. So we did the Universal Pictures Draculas and turned it into a retrospective building up to this. I really was looking forward to this as perhaps one of the top movies for me this entire calendar year. The trailer just sold it as so much fun. And I like Nicholas Holt. I don't know if you guys saw the menu. He was really good in that. And of course, Mad Max. Yeah, Nicholas Holt was a big draw for me. He's a family favorite in our family, going back to Warm Bodies. He was the beast in the X-Men films. Not everything's great. Don't see that when he played J.R.R. Tolkien. That movie was a real bore. But yeah, the menu, he's always fun. Like I enjoy when he shows up in a film. The Great, too, I'll offer that. You may not be interested in Catherine the Great uh, TV series, but it's actually a comedy. And that's what I think of him as. He's got this droll wit. He's kind of like the new Hugh Grant and can be kind of fun to watch. But again, I want to circle back to this. Arnie, you were sold by the trailer. I was sold beforehand that the Universal Studios was making a sequel to Dracula. That trailer surprised me. I wasn't expecting farce. And I never expected this to be a sequel to Bela Lugosi's Dracula. I think Arnie sent an article or something later. No, no. They said that a year ago. That is why we did this retrospective building off of Bela Lugosi, was I was told direct sequel. And then when I saw that trailer, I went, what? Okay, maybe you were told that because you do all the scheduling and all the behind the scenes stuff. To me, that was a surprise. And then, yeah, when we get a homage to the original in the beginning of this one, I'm like, okay, they are trying to say this is Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Mm-hmm. In some way, they're jumping off of that. And then again, I hate to be this cynical, but who even remembers that? That was 90 years ago. And while we like to go and dive into movie history, and hopefully our listeners do too, I'm imagining a large number of people that are going to go to this movie, or rather, the people that are going to this movie, I don't know if it's a large (laughs) number or not based on my theater size. Yeah, they're probably here just for the laughs. And again, when I showed up on Friday afternoon, it wasn't very populated. But all the trailers were like Mark Hamill action comedy, The Machine. People were rolling. I feel like people were laughing harder at the trailers. There's something about stray dogs biting a guy's dick off that like got bigger <laughs>, laughs than when this movie rolled. It was a comedy audience. I didn't get any comedy trailers. Mine seemed all like very serious or rom-coms. We did get a trailer for The Last Voyage of the Demeter in there. But yeah, I didn't get comedy off the trailers they showed in mine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a whole, like, girls' night with Asian actresses, like, the whole thing. Raunchy, rowdy crowd. And, you know, I can't use the word crowd, but that audience that I was with, that was what they want. They were laughing. I thought it was interesting that the laughter actually kind of stopped once the credits started. Okay, well, I'm going to have an opposite experience then. Uh, Maybe not crowd size. There is, I counted about 20 people there. We pulled up to the theater, took my wife with me because she was excited to see this as well packed. She's like, oh no, it's going to be sold out. I'm like, no, this is Super Mario people. And sure enough, it was. It was just everyone was there to see (laughs) Super Mario Brothers again. That was like me and Children of the Corn. I'm like, whoa, are all these people here for? Oh, Creed 3. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Not this movie. But there's about 20 people there, but I'm going to say like the most responsive audience I've been with at a now playing movie this year, as far as laughing and reactions go. And I'm out of town, so 
Marjorie and I decided to see this together apart. We both went to a 5 p.m. showing on Thursday, the day it premiered. She went down where we live, and I went in Springfield. And both of us had about five people in our audience. And what was interesting is both of us noticed it was all individuals. Like, nobody had come with somebody. Everybody in this movie was in this movie alone. And I was in a smaller theater, maybe... 25 seats total, and I think there were maybe seven of us total in the theater. Not a big crowd, and not a responsive crowd. I got no feed off any of them. I mean, none of them annoyed me by pulling out their phones, nor did any of them (laughs) cheer and whoop and laugh. It was a lot like watching it alone in the theater for me. What I suspect, I don't think this movie's doing very well. And you could blame Mario Brothers if you want. Was this film ever going to do well? Like, I just don't think these films do well these days in theaters. Yeah, Nick Cage is not a theater box office draw. I think that he has a cult of fans. Sometimes I'm even in that cult. But I think we all expect his stuff to go straight to streaming, right? This thing will do much better when it shows up on Peacock, what, in three weeks or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) By the time this review is out, it will be on Peacock. (laughs) It'll already be gone. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, this movie, it shocked me. I had no idea this cost 60, 65 million. And right now they're putting estimates, early estimates at 10 million for the weekend. That is not a good return on investment for the studio. What surprised me in, again, I don't pay attention to a lot of the behind the scenes marketing stuff. But the writer, or one of the writers of this film, Robert Kirkman, very marketable name. He has two properties that have been huge successes. He is the comic book writer for The Walking Dead and Invincible. Walking Dead was a very long-running show. Maybe it's still going on. I don't know. Spinoffs are. Okay. And then Invincible got an animated series on Amazon Prime. So, like, I was surprised I didn't see his name being promoted from the creator of The Walking Dead and Invincible. Because it was a shock when I saw his name pop up during the opening credits. And the actual screenwriter of this is a writer for that Invincible show. I didn't know what that was, but he'd also worked on Rick and Morty. Yeah, super violent superheroes. Kind of like the violence in this. But also, we're looking at creators of irreverent animation. Invincible and Robot Chicken and Lego Batman here. So my concern is, could it be too much SpongeBob? SpongeBob is my go-to for a comedy sensibility that is younger than me. And, you know, will I get this movie? I like Dracula. Is that going to be enough? We'll see. Arnie, let's get into the movie. In the early 1900s, a real estate agent named Robert Montague Renfield, played by Nicholas Holt, traveled to Transylvania to sell some property to Count Dracula, played by Nicholas Cage. Instead of becoming wealthy, Renfield became Dracula's servant, or as they call them here, familiar. Renfield was granted supernatural powers, but to get them, he had to eat insects. Over a century of companionship, Dracula has suffered several losses at the hands of vampire hunters, and Renfield has had to nurse the vampire back to health. This is where we find the two when the movie starts in present day. Renfield and Dracula are hiding in New Orleans while Dracula is recovering from a near-fatal attack. Renfield must bring Dracula victims to feed on in order for Dracula to grow stronger. Renfield having a crisis of conscience after so much bloodshed, attends a self-help group to find his victims. He's not picking members of the group, but, rather, those who have preyed upon and hurt the members of the support group. He finds these more morally questionable people and brings them to his master. But on one of these missions, 
Renfield gets into an altercation with a hitman hired by the Lobo crime family. Renfield ends up killing many members of the Lobo gang while protecting a cop named Rebecca Quincy, played by Aquafina. Quincy is the lone good cop in a corrupt force. Quincy is dedicated to hunting down the Lobo family as the Lobos killed her father, but every time she tries, the Lobos and their connections set them free. Renfield's actions put him on the radar of Lobo leader Bella Francisca and her son Teddy, played by Ben Schwartz. Teddy and some of the Lobo hitmen go to kill Renfield, but instead they encounter Dracula. When Teddy tells Dracula that Renfield has been doing heroic things, Dracula teams up with the Lobo gang. He makes Teddy his new familiar and also gives powers to several Lobo thugs. The intent is to kill Renfield and then use the Lobos for Dracula to conquer the world. Renfield and Quincy fight off hordes of evil cops and make their way to the Lobo compound. There, they face off against super-powered Lobo familiars, but Renfield is able to take them out. Then Quincy is able to trap Dracula in a magic circle. Quincy and Renfield chop Dracula into tiny pieces, still unsure if that will permanently kill the Lord of Darkness, but it seems Renfield is free of his evil boss as credits roll. As they start, you know, there's a lot to set up here. We see our main character sitting very quietly in a support group, wearing that name tag, hanging in the back because he doesn't want to share. But in voiceover, he's got to tell us all the ways that this is connected to 1931 Dracula. I'm not feeling it. I got to say, when we quickly jump to Kung Fu and people flipping, I'm like, this ain't Bella Lugosi. It's only when we get the deep fake footage that I go, oh, okay. Is that what they did? They deep faked it? That's what it looks like. I figured they just restaged it. Yeah. Mm, I really feel like some of those shots are directly from Todd Browning's work. I just got super excited because Top Hat Dracula is returning. Nick Cage, I knew he would understand the importance of a Top Hat for Dracula. (laughs) I got excited. But I think this is useful because at least my crowd seemed... On the younger side, younger than me, which is sad that there's people younger than me now that are adults. But I don't think, I don't know, I'm making assumptions here. Maybe they're all big Dracula fans, but I I think for whatever reason, maybe that's a joke that you want to tie this into that Bela Lugosi one, that horror classic. So this is probably useful because probably not a lot of people have seen that. So if that's important, that this is a sequel. But for those who have seen the original, like we have... I think this is a nice, loving homage. I mean, who wouldn't love to see Bela Lugosi's Dracula completely just reenacted like Gus Van Sant's Psycho with Nick Cage in Bela Lugosi's role? I mean, his I never drink wine. I just loved it. Yes, do that remake, please. I was laughing throughout this because, yes, re- even though it feels like ages ago, have recently seen that Bela Lugosi film. So that was on the mind. And yeah, I was having fun with Nick Cage parodying all of that. We finally have an explanation for something, too. I think we all said when we watched that 31 one. Why those bugs in a coffin? <laughs> what is that little bug doing in his coffin? It's a pillbox. This is the thing that Renfield has to bust out. I just assumed he ate spiders because he was creepy. But no, it actually is in this world. And again, this is the part that I don't love about this movie. He's going to have kung fu powers whenever he pops a fly. Yeah, that was one of my questions going in because... Of the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, there's a familiar character there that gets a bunch of storylines as a real important character, and he doesn't have any powers. He's just a human hoping to become a Dracula. And this one, seeing the trailers, I knew that Renfield had kung fu powers, and I'm like, he's still young. He hasn't aged. Like, has he been bitten in this one in turn? But I guess 
he's still just a part-time vampire. He's just eating those little bugs, which is fine. Like, you know, we kind of just assumed that somehow Dracula was controlling him and in those old black and white ones that didn't really go into all the lore. But this also feeds into the metaphor. What this movie is really about has nothing to do with Bram Stoker. It has to do with talking about codependency. And this was a surprise to me. I saw the trailer. I knew that there was going to be a joke about a codependent group, but I didn't realize this movie is going to really speak to what it is to be under the influence of a very corruptible, evil person. Makes sense now. In retrospect, how else would you tell Renfield's story? But by showing the old footage, you can see how he got seduced. How it was like, I'm a lawyer and I'm going to get rich and now I'm traveling the world and entertaining high society. I did love the irony of him saying travel the world and we see the Demeter just getting crushed by waves. (laughs) But the thing is, like, in your mind, when you're under the influence, you think you're living in high society, but really you're eating bugs. Your powers are coming from doing grotesque things and waking up to that, coming to that realization will be the journey of this Renfield. He started on it because he's in drag, this support group. I didn't catch what the acronym stands for. Did you guys hear it? But I I saw it was D-R-A-A-G. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, this group of sad sacks. This was the trailer, was him in this group of codependents and talking about his bad boss, which is part of the reason why we had to review Vampire's Kiss for patrons on Friday is because Nicolas Cage plays a very bad vampire boss in that, but I didn't expect that to be the entire movie. I expected this to be the opening of the movie. I expected Dracula to walk in at the end of this opening scene and really introduce. You know, I knew this movie was and Nicolas Cage, but I think coming in, I had hopes that there would be a lot of Nicolas Cage in this movie, and he really is a relegated background character. Yeah, I mean, I saw that trailer. I'm like, okay, this is a Nicholas Holt film. It's not really a Nicholas Cage film. And yeah, I got that it was about codependency. I thought that was going to be the main gist of this film, Renfield trying to get from out of under the thumb of Dracula. Yeah, and again, I like that. Once I settled into that, I thought, oh, okay, this will be interesting. And, and like you, Arnie, I assumed all these people were going to be wiped out here at the beginning. But in fact, and I don't know that this totally comes through, but... They've got so much to do, they can't sit down and give you a full scene of this. We're supposed to believe that these really are people that he's fallen in love with, that are his friends, that he really sees himself in them and feels bonded in this group. Even though he's hanging in the back and not sharing, he is getting something out of this. As he will say, it's victims for his master, but it's also the sense that, yeah, maybe I do have a problem. And he had this moment. This was a weird scene. Again, this kung fu part that's sort of interspersed in the opening montage, is that he had this moment where he could have broken away. That Dracula was trapped in some kind of protective circle where this feels like it's happening 5,000 years ago, but in fact, we're supposed to believe this is modern day, like a couple weeks ago. It was a couple weeks ago? I thought it was like decades. I thought maybe 30 years had passed or something, or maybe more than that. I thought this was like the 50s or something. Crossbows and the guy that's in the whole papal thing like that really felt like 1500s 1400s but well let me put it this way dracula will receive some extreme burns in this scene and they are not restored in the present day so has he been charred like this for 500 years 
I just took it he was so disfigured. Well, I don't think 500 because 1930 happened. But I figured he was so destroyed, he's almost dead, that, yeah, it would take a lot of blood. And he talks about the kind of blood that he'll need later on that to really restore himself. The thing that Nicholas Holt says is that this happens a lot. And so what we see is this opening, an instance of a time that Dracula lost. Is it the instance that Dracula lost right before they go to New Orleans? Yes. I think so. Or is this something that happened 50 years ago that... Then Dracula just recently suffered a new loss, but it's a repetitive cycle that Renfield and Dracula are trapped in. Dracula grows to full power, goes on a feeding frenzy, vampire hunters show up and hurt him badly, and then they have to go into hiding and he has to restore to full power yet again. So I took this as a long time ago also based upon their outfits, but by the end of the movie, I do think this is happening in 2023 and You know, the Vatican loves their old costumes, right? They still are dressing up like it's the 1800s. It's the crossbow that throws me. How else are you going to shoot a wooden stake? You got to have that crossbow. And that priest was played by William Ragsdale, the star of Fright Night in its sequel, The Good Ones. So it was a nice little vampire nod right there. I like this idea, though, of Dracula. He grows the power, gets a little bit too cocky, gets defeated. This is all about cycles of abuse, and I do think that plays into that cycle. Is This abuser, they, they get maybe overconfident or whatever, really abuse you hard, and they go, I gotta back off a little, because I really, they're gonna get mad and leave me, I'll back off a little. So, like, yeah, whatever the timeline is here, I think it's important thematically to the different cycles of abuse and codependency we'll be exploring. For sure. Renfield is starting over again. We see him in this restaurant, Mulata's. Which is, I guess, the real place. It doesn't look like this. If you go to New Orleans, it is trademarked the original New Orleans restaurant, but there are no giant mouths on the walls or what have you. All this horror aesthetic, more like the Jekyll and Hyde Club, if you remember that horror-themed restaurant of the 90s. Oh, God, that was so cheesy. I went there in New York. It's so bad, yeah. I ordered, like, uh, shrimp Alfredo, and I, they must have had sea monkeys in it, because I'm like, where are the shrimps? <laughs> Anyway, the point is that he's in this restaurant trying to find new homes. And this really is his journey of where is my place? Where do I find validation? Where is my home? He asks the waitress for a pin to circle some promising things in the newspaper. And all of this is set up for a lot of stuff that's going to happen in the middle of this movie. But right now, Caitlin has just unloaded about her monster boyfriend, Mitch, which makes him a perfect target for Master. I mean, I gotta agree, if you're gonna force ska on someone, that's pretty abusive behavior. Like, too much ska, not a good thing. Voodoo glow skulls, I hate them too. I get it. I was cracking up. I don't know how many people know about the voodoo glow skulls. They are, like, local to Southern California, so we saw them a lot at local shows, but I was cracking up during the ska stuff. I know that's a very specific sense of humor, but it's my sense of humor. I love this stuff. And it keeps coming back. I'll give them that. The ska is a running joke for the first half an hour of this movie that I like. And because Renfield is technically a villain in those earlier films and things, they have to find a way to make him acceptable to modern audiences. They do what Deadpool did. If you remember the very beginning of Deadpool, Deadpool's an assassin. But who's his first target in that Deadpool movie? It's an abusive stalker boyfriend. So that's what they're going to have here is they're going to have Renfield basically save the cat by going after an abusive boyfriend instead of going after 
a handful of nuns or a busload of cheerleaders. It's Dexter rules. I don't think of Deadpool, but yes. How do you make a serial killer someone you can root for? He kills someone even worse than himself. But I don't know. I feel like I would still like this character even if he was bringing cheerleaders and nuns to Dracula. Yeah, that's a different vibe, a different level of maybe pathos they would be going for. They go the easy route. Like, whether I like this film or not, it goes the easy route most of the time. It's not a very challenging film, even though it's about, you know, abuse and all that. It's going to stay pretty safe. What did surprise me, what I did not expect, was this to be a splatterhouse film when this violence finally kicks in? I didn't realize it was going to be so over the top, like Kill Bill style blood spouts coming out. Not a complaint. It was kind of a shock. And once I realized that was the tone, I'm like, oh, okay. Again, don't take this too seriously. It's about ripping arms off and fountains of blood. Sam Raimi was my go-to reference here, was the humorous, over-the-top splatter. I was really enjoying it. It's familiar. At this point, when Sam Raimi did it in the mid-80s, that felt like, wow, this is really just a challenge. Now, it's an expectation. It's funny to me, this movie's R-rated. I really do think you could probably take children to it. Maybe that says something about my parenting inabilities. (laughs) But to me, the splatter feels joyous and silly, cartoonish. And so it's not horrifying. There's no horror in this movie. No. But we get all of this established because Renfield goes to kill this supposedly monstrous boyfriend of Caitlin, Mitch. We have a kung fu scene where he's chloroforming him and his friends, and what comes to light is that they have just stolen a whole bunch of cocaine bricks from this Lobo gang. And that means that Renfield next has to fight an even bigger challenge, this big masked fellow named Apache Joe. Lobo gang. Maybe it's thing, but Lobo, I was thinking, first of all, the DC character named Lobo. I was also thinking Lycan. I thought that these would be werewolves, that it was going to be a vampire versus werewolf gang. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's they're just reflecting. The point is, they're telegraphing you that the scion of this gang, Teddy, who's sitting out in a sports car not getting his hands bloody, is going to be the more appropriate new familiar for Dracula. By having him be a wolf, it's going to signal to us, maybe we don't figure it out for a while, that... Yeah, as Renfield is starting to drift out of the control of Dracula, there's a new person that probably would love to have a daddy. Yeah, I was not expecting, from the trailers I saw, a whole gang storyline that's going to be a pretty major part of this film. And then you see Ben Schwartz as the head of this gang. I'm like, okay, again, they're going for comedy. They don't want seriousness here, which I'm fine. Like, Ben Schwartz is funny when he's not playing Sonic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I know him from. Parks and Rec, he's great. I know him primarily from Parks and Rec, and he also is a big voiceover for the Robot Chicken guys. He played a major role in that MODOK TV series that was done by the Robot Chicken guys. That you hated, yeah. (laughs) I disliked actively, but I do like Ben Schwartz. I think he's funny. And here, as this weak-willed, cowardly Teddy, it seems just like a role made for him. Although I think he's a little bit old for this role at this point. I feel like. You know, he's about our age, and I think as a young mobster coming into his own, you might have wanted to go 10 to 20 years younger with this character. Maybe. I'll make the argument that because he is middle-aged and still calling his mama, we're going to see that the real head of this crime family is Bella, 
who's very concerned that he's not tough enough to run the gang. Maybe it makes him look even more pathetic, maybe even more of a reason to turn to Dracula. I mean, to your point, Stuart, about kids, like I'd show this movie to my girls. It is about children having bad parental figures or like every character. We'll talk about Aquafina when we get there. She's got daddy issues. Teddy's got mother issues. We got stepdaddy issues, maybe with Renfield and Dracula. Which is related to the codependent theme that oftentimes we learn coping patterns from our parents and then apply them to people in the world as we grow up that we shouldn't and develop these unhealthy attachments. So here's where I start like having issues that make me pause because I've been enjoying the film thus far, but it's a tricky thing with a comedy, like the tone, how absurd do you take it? When you get moments like Teddy, he runs away, he sees Apache Joe dead, he freaks out, drives off, is going through a DUI stop and has a bunch of cocaine, and instead of just, like, zipping up that bag of cocaine and, like, just calmly going through, which, if you're a seasoned gangster, I figure that's just the norm. You're used to that kind of situation. It doesn't seem like a dire one, but he panics and drives off, which I guess informs us about the character, but it feels like the wrong time for someone this old to be panicking in the situation. He's probably been in this situation many times. But Apache Joe had just been beheaded, and I could see that causing panic for him, where On a normal day, he might not have reacted this way. But, man, you say you start having pause with this. The moment we're introduced to Teddy, and then Teddy at this traffic stop introduces us to Aquafina, I realize that this story is messy. And we are talking about the Lobo Gang, and I don't like the Lobo Gang in this film. I don't know that we needed a gangland mafia-style group in this movie. I feel like Dracula is a big enough villain. We've watched him be a villain or anti-hero in seven films thus far. All of this stuff with Aquafina and Ben Schwartz feels so unnecessary and weights down this film for me. I have some reserves about the whole gang subplot and how they decided to go about this plot. My biggest disappointment, though, is Aquafina. I feel like I know what her... Thing is, when she shows up in a film, she's going to be sarcastic and be making jokes. And I feel like she's almost the straight woman in this film. I don't think I ever laughed when Aquafina was around. I'm laughing at Nicholas Holt, at Nicholas Cage, at Ben Schwartz. I'm not laughing with Aquafina. And I thought, oh, that's why she was hired to be the comedy relief. I'll tell you, the first laugh I heard in my theater was when she throws the baton and knocks Teddy out as he's running away, throwing cocaine bricks at them and saying, I have a prescription. That got a laugh, finally. I felt like there was crickets going on, but people kind of liked her. At least that was my sense, that she brought something that was comforting for an audience that was kind of struggling, maybe, with the tone. I gotta feel like Aquafina isn't stretching. Isn't this the same exact role she had to play in Shang-Chi? That's what I'm saying. I feel like every film I see her in, she's playing this role. Well, you hire Aquafina to be Aquafina. And I'm saying I don't think she's really Aquafina in this. But to the point of her response being, oh my god, you have superpowers? Oh my god, did you just cut off somebody's arms with a decorative serving platter? I mean, it feels like the exact same role she's been put in before. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. She is not only just a sidekick. If that were true, then I might agree with you that this whole gang thing complicates and distracts us from the point. But we are to understand that her story is Renfield's story. They are both working for corrupt, evil organizations. And 
That's what is supposed to bring them together. I feel like this script has so many good ideas, but is really like two rewrites away from being where it needs to be. I see everything that's in play being a value, but we just have these awkward transitions. Jacob, what do you talk about? Of like, we know we need to get Teddy arrested, so we'll just do this awkward thing here. And very quickly, we see that Aquafina's moment of triumph, bringing this guy downtown, turns into uh, humiliation when authority figures release him and say she was the one that traumatized the criminal. Yeah, I, I will say when we get down to that police station, the one reoccurring joke that I do laugh at from Aquafina is, fuck you, Kyle, <laughs> for whatever reason. Like, that, yeah, you see that tension at the police station. She's the one swearing and irreverent. Again, we've seen this a million times in any movie that features cops and their relationships with the chief and all that. It's good enough, but you're right, Stuart. A little bit more work could polish this. I do feel at times it's like, how do we get to the next point? I don't know. And they, they just go with the easiest route, maybe not the smartest. Agreed with that, for sure. Yeah, there's just key moments that where I'm really vibing with this, and then they go, uh, all right, and next, you know, skits. It feels more like a series of skits that need finessing, which is too bad because Aquafina has done dramatic work. I point you towards the farewell. And I think that this character is supposed to deepen in the middle. We are supposed to feel her dramatic pain when she turns to her sister, who is also law enforcement, but with the FBI, and talking about the corruption, you know, wanting to be like her dead father, a noble cop in a ignoble force. All that stuff is supposed to not be funny. That's the stuff that is supposed to have you dramatically recognizing that she and Renfield are oppressed people. And from the crew of Robot Chicken and Lego Batman, the drama is not always the best, maybe unsurprisingly with those credits. But yeah, I feel like they go from some more serious dramatic moments. And I'm always like, eh, let's get back to the jokes and ripping off arms. That's what's working for me. Anytime Aquafina is on screen and Nicholas Holt is not, I find this movie dragging. And that is not what I expected coming into this. I expected an irreverent comedy and when they try to bring in the dramatic moments they're falling really flat and this is only a 90 minute movie 97 minutes with credits and a movie that short shouldn't feel like it's dragging and right from the beginning here it starts doing that i'm like where's dracula that's the movie i came to see all right well let's talk about dracula because what we saw him a bit in the kung fu of the beginning but we really get him about 20 25 minutes here when Renfield comes home dragging those bodies that he just took out, Apache Joe and the three others. And we find out that, yeah, Nick Cage is kind of like the boss that he was in Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> he will use a lot of sarcasm and badgering and belittling of his servant in the same way that he terrorized Maria Conchita Alonso in Vampire's Kiss. But it feels safer, right? It doesn't have the wildness of that performance, the unhinged. No German expressionism going on in this film with his facial features. No, you know who Nick Cage said was his inspiration for Dracula? And Bancroft in The Graduate. Weird. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. Not ever. I don't see it. Maybe if I went back and watched The Graduate, I would. I see what he did before, but there doesn't seem to be as much fire behind the eyes. He seems to be in safe mode. And I know that Cage can do Disney movies. He apparently 
is beloved for a whole series of films I didn't see, like National Treasure and Sorcerer's Apprentice. So I did go and watch Sorcerer's Apprentice before this. I didn't realize that was a Disney movie until I put it on. But yeah, it like remember Fantasia when Mickey Mouse was a Sorcerer's Apprentice? Don't we need a live action remake of that with Nick Cage? Sure. As long as it's the Nick Cage I know and not the neutered one. That was the problem. It was very much a Disney Nick Cage where he wasn't doing a whole lot of the caginess that we love and we go to the movies for. And I felt something similar here. I wondered early on because he's under heavy prosthetic. I'm like, oh, this was probably his idea. I've seen Willy's Wonderland where Nick Cage told the director who somehow scraped up money to hire him for their no budget horror film. He's like, what if my character doesn't talk at all? And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, that's just because you didn't want to talk. You didn't want to act. You didn't want to memorize lines. I'm like, did he demand like the heavy prosthetics so he doesn't have to show up here? But he's here. He's behind that makeup. No. In Willy's Wonderland, which we should review someday, Nick Cage gets so much of his performance inspiration from silent films. I think he just wanted to act in one. I don't think it was laziness. But I find it funny that he convinced the director, like, how about I just don't talk? Well, maybe the lines were trash. I've seen the movie. They probably were. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, this is what he sees Renfield bringing him. You're, you're bringing me trash. Nick Cage, if this is meta, this is Nick Cage saying, I've had to be in so much crap. You're bringing me garbage. If you want to restore <laughs> me, if you want to see me in my full potential, bring me innocence. Boys, girls, it's not a sexual thing. I just need nuns, cheerleaders, tourists. I can't subsist on criminals. I was super concerned when Renfield brought in those bodies because it looked like they were dead. And I did watch interview with the vampire just as side homework for all this vampire stuff. And like, there's a big deal. I guess vampires, they can't drink dead blood. So I, I was a little bit on his side. Like as a boss, I'm like, bring him the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, we see Renfield repeatedly with chloroform, which makes me think you're taking unconscious victims for Dracula to kill. And then, yeah, he shows up with headless bodies and... I didn't think that Dracula could subsist off of eating corpses. This hasn't been going on very long. This is why I know that that burning only happened last week, because otherwise they would have already established this. But it's really about the metaphor, right? Like, really what's important here is if you're thinking of this as a codependent relationship, this is a character that is never going to be satisfied with what Renfield is doing. I have criticism for everything you're doing. You're always failing me. And that keeps him hooked, right? Rather than Renfield getting tired and saying, well, then get your own bodies. He just like, okay, well, I guess I'll go and get the tourists then. Because he believes what Dracula has put in his head, that I'm your only friend. I'm the only thing that matters. I can restore you. Keep in mind, Apache Joe gutted Renfield. And the only way that Renfield can come back is by taking the blood of Dracula. So there's really this cyclical, sick, codependent relationship that's really being shown, dramatized by this pairing. And I do feel like this is in the zeitgeist right now, a lot of stuff. I'm kind of sick of the term because people misuse it so much, but gaslighting and mm -hmm. just all that kind of stuff. Like it's, there's so many ways to get canceled now. And it's all about like behavior and are you abusive? Are you narcissistic? Like there's so many more avenues. And I, I do feel like this taps into those times. We're just more aware of this kind of psychology and how people treat each other. Again, it feels like the right moment. Or is it just like Jacob said, so overused that it is a bit of a crutch to go to. I think that you could have had 
maybe if it wasn't so on the nose, maybe if you didn't have Renfield at a support group for codependence, if it was subtext instead of text, I'd appreciate it more. Mm, I think it's everything for me. It's the reason why I'm hooked into this movie. This is not working as a Dracula movie. And keep in mind, that 1931 Bella Lugosi thing wasn't that good to begin with. Nope. My favorite character was <laughs> Renfield. It was the cackling madman. So I feel like this is all, while it feels like a terribly bizarre sequel coming so, you know, 90 years later, it doesn't really feel tethered to the old black and white movie. I do see they've taken important things and built it into, yeah, I think a theme that a lot of people have curiosity in this day and age. Gaslighting and codependency, to me, I wouldn't want that minimized. Now that I know that this is the movie, it helps me accept Renfield. And this is the point, you know, okay, you only want innocent people. I'm going to go back to Mulatas. I'm going to have the chloroform ready. Here comes a whole busload of cheerleaders. The nuns are eating at the table next to me. There's tourists. Yeah, I will do it. And he is saved from this moment because of Aquafina, because Rebecca blows in here. She's been investigating a pin that he used to stab one of the victims. And this allows a whole showdown because Teddy has been told by his mom to take this good cop out. Yeah, this is where we find out Teddy's never shed blood. He is kind of a mama's boy. He's not a tough gangster, so he has to go kill this cop. And again, I like the action, the -the over-the-top violence we're going to get, but this just, whenever you got a monologue, instead of just pulling the trigger and killing the person you're supposed to kill, it gets annoying, and I know this is a comedy. I guess if I was laughing more in the interactions between Schwartz and Aquafina, I wouldn't mind so much, but I'm like, just pull the trigger and get to the action. We know you're not shooting her. But I like that he gives her an out. He says, all you have to do is admit we own you. I don't think he wants to kill her. I don't think he plans on killing her. He plans on getting her subservient. But that's his out. He was told to kill her. That's his mission from his mom. I thought the mission was get her under control, whether that's killing her or whether that's just making her a slave. Oh, I took it as you need to shed blood because you haven't done that. No, I think Arnie's right. I think it was intimidate her and she calls his bluff and says, okay, killer, shoot me. She doesn't try to put up a fight. And she's not, again, the whole indoctrination here is the same as Dracula and Renfield. I want you to be codependent. You might be a cop, but you work for the criminals. And everyone else on the force, she's going to find out, including her partner, have signed that deal. But she is noble because she won't. And that's why Renfield falls in love with her. Wow, someone that can actually stand up to an abuser. I want to be like that. And this is another scene from the trailer where... Renfield is going to save her and go beast mode. I mean, I feel like a lot of his moves here are the same moves he had as Beast in (laughs) X-Men with the giant leaps. A lot of wire work, jumping over tables. Uh Uh-huh. And then the decorative serving platter to cut off the arms and give us some more splatter. Yeah, and my crowd is enjoying this stuff. They're ooing and aahing and laughing over the extreme, over-the-top violence. I just love the idea of, you know, Popeye. I think we all grew up with Popeye. The Zoomers are probably wondering what a Popeye is, but besides the chicken restaurant. But the fact that bugs are used like spinach for Renfield here, and he's got to pop that bee in his mouth and go crazy. A fly in the soup. That's right, yes, because he's dropped his bug, and so he's got to find that other bug to eat. Yeah, I mean, the humor is, of course, that's a subjective thing. 
I guess because I've seen so many movies that use graphic violence as a punchline, I'm kind of inured to it. It's kind of like, eh, okay, this is kind of fun, but I wouldn't say laugh out loud hilarious. I feel like where the comedy is lacking is in the lines. I love the setup. I love the metaphors. The physical violence, the slapstick with blood is okay, but where are the good one-liners? Yeah, I agree. When I say the audience is positively reacting, I'm laughing. I'm not like holding my gut laughing. It's a chuckle. Like I'm amused. I'm having a good time. I think that's what the audience is having. You're right. There's not a lot of great one-liners. It's usually all of a sudden someone's arm is ripped off and a stream of blood is shooting out and it's just so extreme you kind of chuckle at it. Monty Python could do both and this can only do one. True. But what I feel like is real, like maybe at some point this was a PG-13 family-friendly film, is after this fight, Aquafina, I think she falls in love with Renfield. She's like, you're a hero. I'm like, we're talking about heroes in an R-rated action horror comedy like that feels real kitty and like the whole time like you need to become the hero that you are i'm like all right we have a generation raised on the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> i guess that makes sense to people this is a line from lego batman yes this is not a line from certainly not todd browning's dracula <laughs> but the kind of movie that i'm wanting this to be it's a little you talk about on the nose arnie and this is where like we need to accentuate this theme so that you get it i feel like this is my real struggle because I love the idea of this female cop on a corrupt force being in the same situation as Renfield, but it's just not dramatized well enough. They don't have really great chemistry together. And so when she's saying things later, he'll bring her flowers at the station and she'll be like, I'm lost without you. I'm like, where was that scene? I don't even understand this relationship. It was lost on the cutting room floor. Perhaps. This movie is short. Even though I know you want comedies to be short, it feels trimmed to the point of maybe missing key scenes. I actually think that they probably chopped out dramatic stuff that might help some of the character relationships I'm looking for. But the important thing is, we're in Act 2, and Renfield does see himself as a hero, because she told him, and he's codependent, so if someone tells me something, I believe them, I'm going to... Well, he has one more moment of discovery. He goes back to Dracula. Dracula orders him home and says, I've been thinking about what you said, and I'm going to dominate the world. And you're going to, like, I love that he has it all mapped out, and Renfield's like a little post-it on it. He's got a map. I thought this was going to be a major plot. Like, the whole climax was there's one specific thing Dracula was going to do to take over the world. And we got to stop that one specific thing. I don't know what his plan to dominate, like just slowly eat people and turn them into Draculas too. Have no idea, never explained, never explored, never expounded on. It kind of is in that eventually he's going to use the Lobo gang as his army to do this. But this would be enough of a plot. Dracula deciding he's going to take over the world would be enough of a villain plot for me without the Lobos. But no, you need the Lobos in order for him to feel like it's possible. I don't see how you cut the gang out. Like, the gang unifies this. The gang gives Dracula the idea that Renfield is not enough. They're both going to move away from each other in Act 2. And Dracula here, again, he's, he's got his assistant as a post-it while he's made everything around him. I'm going to turn good and evil into followers and food. And that is scary to Renfield to think that First of all, such an evil plot is going to be hatched. And Jacob, I hear you questioning, we needed to understand what that plot is. 
if he's a narcissist, if we are just to think of Dracula as the ultimate narcissist, I don't think that they think about details. I think they think about themselves being at the center of the world more than they think about mechanizations on how to do that. And that kind of goes with the idea that whenever he gets close to rising to power, he gets caught by some version of Van Helsing and has to recover. Like, I get that. I just felt building up to this ending. Is that his undoing? I guess in some roundabout way, you could say that once again undid him. If we're trying to kidify stuff and make things real obvious, I would have liked that to be made more obvious. Finesse is what we're looking for. Making some things that are overt smaller, making some themes a little bit more dramatized. Yeah, there's rewriting to be done here, or maybe some of this stuff is on the floor. That said, montage is always a key in all of these kind of movies, and I love that they go Lizzo. I love that they take her, like, self-affirmation, like, anthem, am I ready to be loved, and turn it into, you know, we always get this, the shopping montage. Renfield is going to fix himself by going to Old Navy, which feels both like product placement and a punchline. He's going to get at the Sun... Rise Motel, he's going to get a studio apartment and, you know, just paint it bright colors. I want to know about his lease where he could just go paint those walls day one. But yes, I did think it was funny. Like every wall is a different color. Some real patchwork painting going on there. And he takes those successories posters, you know, those ones that are all inspirational quotes that I've had in my workplaces. And he wallpapers one wall with them. Most importantly, he gives up the bugs. I'm not going to be powered the way that I was before. There's a neighbor kid, I don't even think he has a name, who has an ant farm, and he's just like, here, take him. I'm done with this life. And so, again, I think, even though montage feels right, I think there is some dramatic work between him and Rebecca that probably should have happened here. Instead, they just kind of get to the idea that Dracula is going to find a new henchman. That, rather, Bella is going to order her son to go find Renfield. They can access the... NSA. This was the biggest eye roll moment. Like, okay, we just need something to move the plot along. Uh, we hacked into every satellite and we can see everything now. Okay, moving on. Yes, but they can't find him beyond the hospital. Like, you can't find him in his new apartment. <laughs> Again, this is what I mean about sometimes the screenwriter just shrugs and goes, moving on. And the answer here is that a whole bunch of Lobos, led by Teddy, are going to crash this hospital and be confronted with Dracula. And I realized early on when I saw Ben Schwartz was going to be a major character, I'm like, Ben Schwartz is going to be the evil Nicholas Holtz here. He's going to become a new familiar. So when this gang is taken out very quickly by Dracula, but Teddy is allowed to live, and Teddy tells Dracula what Renfield has been doing, I'm like, okay, this was a predictable turn. Predictable, but necessary. And again, I think common in dysfunctional relationships of like, we're breaking up and you go find somebody else and then it's not really going to work. I feel like that Dracula would be dating other familiars makes sense here. And yeah, he's really mad and finding out that, yes, his familiar has been protecting innocent people. Rather than dragging them home, he is out there being a hero. We get probably Cage's best scene is when Renfield comes home to his studio apartment And the vampire is there to mock him for not feeding him. I love this scene. First of all, Dracula is there. We know he just killed all those gang members. He's got a martini. It's a martini of blood. 
And instead of ice cubes in it, it has eyeballs floating in it. I loved that. And then there's just this little thing. They never say it out loud, but it's part of vampire lore in some vampire stories is a vampire can't come in without being invited. And Dracula's just sitting in this apartment. And then we see Renfield look at his welcome mat and it says, welcome, come on in. So by putting that <laughs> welcome mat out, Dracula could just wander right in. Yeah, big laugh from the audience with that reveal. Because I was wondering, I'm like, how's Dracula just able to walk into this apartment? You got to be invited. But yeah, they knew that was a thing. They cut down to that welcome mat. So there's a lot of back and forth of passive aggressiveness. And then they finally get into it. And like, you feel the theme, like, it's total gaslighting, but I love that Dracula can look at Renfield and be like, I'm the victim, you're the monster. You're the one that left your family. And I think this is a really interesting idea from the original movie of like, keep in mind, Renfield, not unlike Jonathan Harker, did have an established family life and he was seduced by the wealth and the promise of the deal to go to Transylvania. Yeah, I think if you're looking at this as an exploration of codependency and narcissism, like the narcissist will grasp onto that piece of guilt that you might have, rightly. I think Renfield should feel bad. You know, maybe he was manipulated, but on some level, he did make a choice to leave his wife and child. Absolutely. So the narcissist will capitalize on that. I have to ask, I looked in the credits, I didn't see her name. They show us a picture of the wife and kid. It looked like Kirsten Dunst as the wife. Maybe that was a nod to interview with the vampire, but I didn't see any credits anywhere. So maybe it wasn't her. It's just someone that looked like that. I didn't even think about that. It just looked like a photograph from the 1920s. But yeah, Renfield's only defense is that, you know, he grabs the book that had been given to him. He holds it like the Holy Bible. How to defend (laughs) yourself against narcissists and tries to self-help talk his way out of it. Yeah, the group leader said, this is your Bible earlier. So he literally uses it like a Bible now. And whereas that priest earlier would read scriptures from the Bible, Renfield's going to read self-help affirmations. And I like that Dracula's like, who put this in your mind? And then looks at the back and sees a sticker for the church. And it's like, of course it's the church. It's always the church. Yeah, that's the first thing he says to Teddy, too, is like, Did the church send you? Like, I thought that was a funny little detail. And it allows them to do what they should at this point. This movie is paced in the right way. At the 45-minute mark, Dracula vows, I'm going to kill everyone you love. It's a little weird for me to think that Renfield loves the support group, but they did help him get to the place he is now. They did take him out for spa day and introduce him to a brush to fix his hair. I mean, they've had a positive impact in his life. I've never been to a support group, but I got to imagine you get some feelings and camaraderie with all those people. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying this movie is so stuffed in the first half. It doesn't feel as well dramatized as maybe it should. Yeah, it feels like that group's more there to provide jokes for like the one girl that's always being interrupted. She's going to get interrupted here before she gets killed. I love Carol, whoever that actress is playing Carol. She's given very little to do, but does so much with it. And just like, fuck Carol. I hate her too. You know, she just, (laughs) the way she delivers her lines. That's what made it funny. Not that she was like, of course, you know, Renfield barging in, interrupting her is going to offend her, but that she can turn it around into self-hate. Perfect. (laughs) Just a perfect satire of the types you meet at support groups. I've been to more than a few. Here's what I'll say. So yeah, this is a turning point. And it's back at the trailer. We don't have to guess what's going to happen because if you saw the trailer, you knew 
that they're all going to die in this moment. Let's eat. That Dracula is going to be invited in and take them all out. And this was my biggest laugh in the movie because in the trailer, we see him go, some call me the Dark One, others the Lord of Death, but to most I am simply... And then it's not in the trailer. Somebody goes, Renfield's boss, and interrupts him. And I just, that was my single biggest laugh in the entire movie. And he's so annoyed by being known as Renfield's boss. But I feel we have a real hard switch at this point. That up to this point, you could make the case that this is about Renfield. And after this point, we really do switch to the perspective of Rebecca. That she has been running around doing silly work with this DNA investigation of the bloody pin from Mulatas and has come to the church too late. She finds Renfield covered in blood being left by Dracula to suffer there alone, which is, you know, the worst punishment you can give a codependent is to not be there, to make them feel like there is no one in their life. That'll be the quickest thing to get him to come back. Again, I'm not convinced Dracula actually wants him to be gone so much as wants him under his control. But it's Rebecca's movie from now on, because it will be her, scene after scene, discovering how she is sort of stuck in the same way. This is where the movie turns off for me. The highest point of the film is the massacre in this group scene, and the more we focus on Rebecca, the more I'm like, this movie's called Renfield. I want more Renfield. I like Rebecca, and again, I like Aquafina as a dramatic actress. I feel like It's okay. It just happens. Here's another sloppy scene. So Rebecca turns to her partner, Chris, go call it in. And what he calls in are the bad guys. The Lobos show up and they're like, don't worry. We only want Renfield. We don't care about you. But they bait her in the same way that Dracula baits Renfield of like, we'll give you Kyle's parking space. We'll (laughs) give you all the badges and titles you want, but know who you're working for. Are you willing to co-sign on bad behavior, and she just kind of grabs a gun, shoots a power line, and drives away with a minimal shoulder injury. It seems like there should have been a better scene here. Yeah, for an R-rated comedy, I definitely feel this is a comedy, it just doesn't have that irreverent vibe that I, I don't know, maybe that I grew up on in the 80s and 90s with that whole comedy scene, it just felt like you wanted to be more irreverent, more anti-authoritarian, more crazy. And this, you have all those opportunities, but then it feels like one of the mandates was to make this film so you could have a PG-13 cut for kids. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's, again, it's an important moment that she wakes up in his apartment and realizes, yeah, I do DUI checkpoints in a place that has daiquiri drive throughs I am relegated to a stupid, ineffectual position, and how do I break that cycle? This should be the thing that brings them together. He has allowed her to keep her gun, he has remained in handcuffs, and is, again, I think a little codependent on her now. You know, he has moved out of being under Dracula's thrall and more thinking about this good cop. He's addicted to being called a hero, and it ends up just being sort of another splatter moment of the Lobo gang. I mean, it is an improvement that he's responding to positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement for once. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere. I I don't want to say that you can just stop being, you can be totally on your own. But she takes that positive reinforcement away. She goes, you're not a hero. You're not even a villain. 
you're just someone who kills people, which in my book is a definition of a villain, but she takes that away from him and just undermines him. I think she understands that he's killing scumbags. Yeah, he sort of doesn't have an identity, is I think what she means by that, really, of like, you just do other people's work and you don't have a sense of self of your own. And she's getting a call from her sister, who has done the DNA testing on the pen and confirmed, and I don't know how you would have DNA evidence for the last 90 years, but his DNA that was picked up on it has been at 90 years of unsolved crimes. So she knows she's dealing with a long-standing criminal. It sort of validates his story that he is an undead servant. I thought for sure the FBI sister is going to be revealed to be the ultimate mole. Yes. Yes. That never happens. So here's the thing. Yes, you do it in parallel. If Renfield wakes up to the idea that, oh, Dracula isn't just a kind of bad guy, but someone that wants to dominate the world, you need to have this woman that has revered her father in the police force so much go, oh. They're not as noble as I thought they would. They needed to either say that her dad was corrupt or that her sister was corrupt. But the fact that she just ends up being the damsel in distress for the climax, it's just wrong. It just feels wrong. Yeah, and she's quickly forgotten at the end, too. But we got to get there. Here, we get this montage. All the bad guys, the Lobo men, the corrupt cops, storm Renfield's apartment complex. Renfield has to break in and steal the ants back from that ant farm. (laughs) And there's this montage or rapid cut fight sequence of him ripping arms off and then using them as spears. To sabotage, no less. No, it isn't. No, it wasn't sabotage. It is not the Beastie Boys. Then it's someone that could be actionable against. It's the same song. I thought it was the Beastie Boys. I waited for the credits because after last week with Super Mario Brothers and me being sick of no sleep till Brooklyn, I'm like, hey, they're finally using a new Beastie Boys song. It's not Sabotage. It's not (laughs) No Sleep Till Brooklyn. It's not Fight for Your Right to Party. But I did not see Beastie Boys anywhere in the credits. So if a listener could tell me what song this is, I really liked it. It's a good Beastie Boys ripoff. But anyway, yes, we have a lot of continued splatter There's this heavy named Bryce that they hold over a railing. She's holding him over the railing while Renfield comes down in slow motion, waving as he goes. And, you know, it just how entertaining is it to see whole bodies explode? I feel like we've had Scanners-style explosions of blood now for a good hour. I don't think that's a joke that is endless. I don't think I could keep laughing at that. I don't know. They're innovating. They're chucking arms through people's torsos. I'm having a good time. And it sounded like the audience I was with was having a good time during all this. And Stuart, you say they've been doing this for an hour. I feel like there's not enough of this. I feel like there's the scene in the diner and there's the scene and that is it. And I wanted honestly more of this type of gonzo humor. And I love this scene. It was a relief in a part of the movie I was not enjoying to get this. Okay. Well, we're wanting different movies then because I definitely am wanting more of the codependent like i feel like the splatter comes in just enough i feel like we get just enough nick cage honestly for some people it might be a problem that dracula is not the star of this movie i think that this has been positioned correctly but it is kind of weird that dracula is all of a sudden brought in in a coffin that teddy introduces his mom and the gang is just sort of there they're just all unified it felt too quick too easy I mean, we're at the 80-minute mark. we got to get moving. 
I thought Teddy might actually want Dracula to overthrow his mom. I didn't know if his issues with his mom, if that was resentment or he's setting her up to have a father. I couldn't tell. But he wants to answer to Dracula and not Bella. And she's fine with it. And Teddy isn't the only familiar. A lot of the gang comes out and they all have the glowing yellow eyes that say they have, as Teddy calls them, Dracula powers. And I'm like, okay, now we finally have Renfield at a disadvantage. People are able to fuck him up because they're on an even playing field. No, Renfield's going to take them all out pretty easily, including Teddy. Well, he did stop by a lot of bait shops. We'll yes. see in montage <laughs> that they picked up a lot of grub worms and what have you. He's loaded up on powers now, and maybe they don't know. Maybe they're just not comfortable getting as gross as he is in order to feel empowered. I mean, Teddy is. That dude's going to sniff a line of centipede. That was such a bad CGI effect, but I did like it. He's like, don't I know you? You look familiar. (laughs) But when Renfield kills Teddy, they do this weird, like, mortal combat. You suddenly see an x-ray of Teddy's skeleton as every bone gets crushed or something. It was kind of weird, and the action in this movie is not great. It's a lot of shaky cam, stutter footage, quick cut. I don't get the feeling like they're able to do the stunts. You know, just a couple weeks after John Wick, I'm really feeling this action to be anemic. I'm not thinking it's ever going to achieve John Wick style, but I did notice that. A lot of times these cuts were just like, wait, what did that happen? How did that arm get over there all of a sudden? It's frantically paced and cut, these action scenes. But as long as there's blood geysering out of limbs, like, that's all I need. That's all I want from this one. Yeah, and I would argue that if your intent is for laughter then being badass, having awesome action, really isn't that important. I say this as the one that probably likes action films the least of this group. Anyway, yeah, Teddy's out of the picture really easily, and Rebecca has taken Bella hostage and used her to go back into the hideout to find her sister, and this is where Dracula makes his pitch that we know it's not going to work on Rebecca because she's resisted every attempt to be controlled and gaslit before. Yeah, I agree. This was a false note. Aquafina slash Rebecca tries to pretend like she's falling for it, and I'm not buying it for a second. I did like the little reveal here. Yeah, he, he's going to levitate her into the air, and she's going to pull that gun out, shoot his foot. I'm like, that's not going to do anything, but the whole point was to get some blood to drip onto Renfield to resurrect him. She's opened up the windows, and he's a bit charred again, and... He turns into a bunch of bats just like Dracula Untold. We saw that at the beginning, too, that, like, he can just become a, what do you call them, a school of bats, a flock of bats? <laughs> a swarm of bats? I Yeah, I don't know. That happened with Bella Lugosi, who's just off screen and, like, probably described yes. to us and never shown. Uh, he also does the whole smoke thing. Yeah, all the stuff that they did do old school in the Francis Ford Coppola, they brought back in a CGI way. And again, I compliment Cage. I'm trying to think of another actor who could walk this line of having dominance and control and yet largely looking like a buffoon. He seems like it was correctly cast. I feel like while not as impactful as Vampire's Kiss is another chestnut in Cage's weird crown. Yeah, if you want that dialed up to 11 caginess from Vampire's Kiss, which I honestly, I was hoping for. I wanted to see his eyes go big. I wanted to see not more Nosferatu and less Bela Lugosi. But this is like, I don't know, maybe a seven on that scale. Like he still vamps it up. 
at times and has fun with this. It's not the totally crazy over-the-top performance that we all kind of want in a Nick Cage film. Yeah, it kind of reminds me when Renfield gets, he's accused of having military experience and he rates, and he's like, I'm from the Great War of Iraq. (laughs) Three out of five stars. I'm like, yeah, three out of five stars is kind of where I'm at with a lot of this, including Cage. Yeah, I've seen it greater, but this is enough of a climax. Cage is doing enough here. Maybe the problem, if there is a problem, is that Rebecca dramatically, we're just not as invested in her as we are with Renfield. I'm three for three on that Cage is well cast here and well used here. And I knew this movie was called Renfield. This movie was not a Dracula starring film. So while I want Cage to chew up scenery every scene, I think he's used properly here. But again, this film is called Renfield, not called Quincy. And so that it is Renfield laying on the ground while Dracula is seducing Quincy. Just at least he wakes up. And I thought this was a big deal because in certain vampire lore, ripping out a vampire's fangs ruins them for eternity. And I'm like, oh my God, he ripped out Dracula's fangs and they're just going to grow right back. Yeah, they grow out of his mouth like tusk. They're all long. Again, if you want that gross out extreme humor of things going through flesh and you're going to get all that. Yeah. And, you know, sort of the how do we make snarky versions of things that are in Dracula lore and the protective circle is made with cocaine that she went online and found some kind of Wiccan tumbler. <laughs> it's not what composes the circle. It's the incantation you say. Yeah, unlike Todd Browning, there is a shot of the cocaine to establish that. Like, you see Aquafina <laughs> actually show that. I'm like, is she going to, like, throw that at Dracula, get him high or something? But no, she does it to make that circle. <laughs> yeah, so it's brought back to the beginning when we saw that Renfield had that choice. Do I allow this man into my head and let the pattern return? It's kind of the same cycle. Aquafina has ruined New Orleans for them. He can either go back to this guy and go to some other part of the world, or he can, yeah, follow a new influence. And I think what we see here doesn't seem like that dramatically hard a choice to make. He grabs the stuff off the torture rack, and together he and Rebecca turn Dracula into concrete ice cubes. They, like, chop him up, and then, yeah, bury him in concrete, and then break that concrete up, and... They go to extreme lengths, and even then, they're like, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah, sequel, maybe? I don't know. I love that they have a jug of Dracula blood right there, too. And I'm like, okay, I knew this Dracula blood was going to become some kind of plot device later on when they introduce it early on as having healing powers. I didn't realize it could bring back the dead. I thought it could heal, but I'm pretty sure... Rebecca's sister was dead there. Was she dead? I was wondering that. She looked dead to me. Yeah, she was dead. And she says to Rebecca, Renfield said you brought me back with Dracula blood. Can I buy that at GNC? (laughs) (laughs) And then they're going to bring back the entire support group. Yeah, I thought it was kind of extreme, like to kill that whole support group. They did nothing wrong. Those are innocents. And so when I saw Renfield sitting there with that jug. I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to resurrect everyone. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense because they're already dead. It's not like they're sitting there still on life support. Mm-hmm. But are they changed? We'll see that the leader, Mark, has some PTSD from whatever he saw in the afterlife. That was funny stuff. Yeah. So who knows? And again, I, I think they think maybe we have something here. Maybe we could make a sequel. I think the box office is telling us that it's no way that's going to happen. 
A Peacock exclusive. Come on. Maybe. In a diminished capacity. Cage would still do it. Oh, you think Cage will come back? He's the one that will come back. Yeah, the low budget has not scared him away so far. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Holt's the one who would be too good for it. Yeah. Aquafina and Holt are out. Schwartz is busy with Sonic 3. <laughs> so, yes, what life will be like it will maybe be changed or maybe it will fall back into the old habits to be determined by another movie. And then we have these end credits, and I do love the end credits because they go into the 1930s style with scratched film. They show the Renfield title, and it's in that slanted font just like the Dracula title is on the DVD cover for that 1931 Dracula, and then we get a lot of scenes. I do think there's a lot of cut scenes. We get some scenes of Nicolas Cage here that I did not see in the movie mixed in with scenes of Renfield and Aquafina that were in the movie. I'm sure there's a lot of footage of him just, like, vamping those teeth off to the camera or something. That's what this feels like. Plastic cheapies. Yeah. <laughs> nah, he got the ceramic ones. 60 million budget? He got the ceramic ones. Yeah, he got the $20 teeth, for sure. All set to Soup Dragons, I'm Free. Not quite a ska song, more Madchester, but... I was really disappointed. I thought, give the Voodoo Glow Skull some royalties and play a ska <laughs> song, for real. It would have been nice to bring back that joke, but I'm Free thematically tells us where Renfield is emotionally. It's a on-the-nose song to play. Mm. For a movie that's been kind of on-the-nose. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Renfield? Jacob. A film could always achieve a lot of different levels. It could be total trash. It could be a masterpiece. I think if you want the really, really good version, if you went into this expecting an A-plus comedy about vampires and their assistants, I would say go watch both the film and the television series, What We Do in the Shadows, that is the funnier version, especially a television show where they have time to explore the life of a familiar and he becomes like a major character. And it's a good show. Yeah. Like there's your A plus version. If you want your cheap streaming on Peacock version, yeah, you're going to have Redfield in a couple of days probably when it hits streaming channels. It's fine. I chuckled throughout it. It sounded like the rest of the audience was having a good time. I think, yes, this is a comedy. If you want a dramatic exploration of codependency and all that. That's not what this is. This is about mostly physical humor. Not Like we've said, not a lot of great one-liners, but yeah, a lot of arms being ripped off and heads being ripped off. And it's juvenile fun, but I did have fun. I, I enjoyed myself. So if you go in with those diminished expectations, and I think if you're going to see a movie like Megan or Cocaine Bear or Renfield, you know what you're going for. It's not serious dramatics. It's for some cheap fun, and this is cheap fun, so I recommend it. Stuart. I hear what you're saying, Jacob. I agree. It's good enough. I recommend the movie. That's not in question here. But here's the thing. Because they had so many cool elements in play, I felt like it was two rewrites away from being Groundhog Day. Which is an A-plus movie. Right. I wasn't on that show. I didn't get to weigh in on that. But there's an example of something that can, on the surface, look like a guy doing pratfalls with a gopher again you know what i mean like caddyshack kind of riffing of physical humor but it's also telling you something really important about the human condition it's talking about midlife crisis and has a way of using the supernatural to powerfully dramatize real emotional concerns and this movie occasionally dips its toe into that and then decides it's going to rip the toe off and eat it and that's what I would say. It's like just a little disappointing to see them go for the juvenile when they had greatness within reach. 
and maybe it just exceeded the scope of what the director and the screenwriter could do, or maybe there are cut scenes that truly didn't test well or changed the kind of movie that Universal wanted to release. But I'll say this, it's not much of a Dracula sequel, it's a pretty good comedy about codependency that occasionally is great. And I've been pretty hard on this film, and the emotion coming through from me is one of disappointment, because I was coming in expecting to love this movie. And you said Groundhog Day, and I thought that I might be getting a vampire film that would be as funny and as insightful and have heart through the Renfield character like Groundhog Day. And I knew Aquafina was in this. I'd seen the trailers. So I knew there'd be some broad humor. I thought there'd be some smart humor. I didn't look at who was making this. I didn't realize that it was Robot Chicken. Yeah, Lego Batman director is making this. Which was a good enough movie. I recommended that one too. Yeah, but you don't watch Lego Batman expecting the Dark Knight. No, but... I would have been very happy with Lego Batman. If I saw that this was from the guy who did Lego Batman, that actually would have increased my hopes. And no, I'm disappointed in this film. I walked out of there. Anything with the Lobos, anything with Ben Schwartz, I just didn't enjoy. And so what I have to do is temper my disappointment with some distance and say, okay, I'm disappointed in this film, but does that mean the film's a not recommend? I stepped back from what I wanted in the film to take a look at what the film was, and the film is incredibly uneven and sloppy, and yet when it works, it works really well, and I think that Nicholas Holt is great in the role as Renfield. I'll say great. I think he never has a scene where I feel he's playing at false. Nicholas Cage, really good Dracula. Ben Schwartz, kind of a really good casting choice here, even if I felt he was a little bit old. I didn't like how his entire plots were written and shoehorned into what I felt didn't need to have the Lobos in this movie, but he was pretty good. And so I can give this movie a mild recommend. It's not a great movie. It's not a must-see. It's not the best movie in our Dracula retrospective series, and I kind of hoped it would be my favorite of the Dracula retrospective series, but you could do far worse, and this movie does have some inspired moments. So especially if you like Splatter and Beastie Boys sound-alike songs, <laughs> recommend. And we're not over Dracula Retro. I'm not going to rule in on that, because even though it feels like we built up to a conclusion, we still got at least one more Dracula movie this year. Yeah, I saw the trailer before this Dracula film. Mm-hmm. The director promises us Alien on a Boat. And that's kind of what it looks like. It's definitely taking the perspective of... Being on the Demeter, we have a new sailor who's distrustful of the people around him, and something strange that we all know is Dracula, but they don't, is killing the crew and the dogs. Maybe it'll work. The late summer release signals to me that they don't have complete confidence in it. Yeah, that trailer looked kind of mid. Based on the trailer I saw before Renfield also, I would not be seeing that movie if we weren't doing a Dracula series. Mm -hmm. I would see it at home. I would wait for it to stream. Is it even a universal picture? Yes, it's a universal picture. We wouldn't do it. I'm trying to get out of it is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, we could just do it when it's streaming so we don't have to go to theaters. I, that may be a damn date thing. I mean, I get it. But And also worth pointing out, Robert Eggers of The Witch is doing his version of Nosferatu too. So when we get to that film, we'll probably cover Shadow of the Vampire as well. So, so there's still some Dracula in our future. 
Also want to point out that Guillermo del Toro is actively developing a Frankenstein movie. Is that our next universal monster? Hey, I imagine that that will probably be our next dip into the whole universal monster franchise. I'm not sure. The guys who did Scream, what are they called? Radio Silence? They're doing a universal monster film now, and I think they'll move faster than Guillermo. Could be. Anyway, yeah, we're going to table all of that for now so that we can finally finish off the video game series. Woof! I cannot wait to be done with this. I mean, Stuart, they still make video games. There's going to be more. (laughs) All right, fair enough, but I get a reprieve. We get to catch up with all the ones we haven't done, including this new Tetris movie that just came out on Apple+. Plus. We'll start the end next week with Tetris and then move on to Werewolves Within and Detention, which is a video game movie, if you don't know. Oh, that's not your punishment for doing this video game (laughs) retrospective? I've been in detention. I can't wait to get out of detention. Yep. And in the meantime, this Friday, we've got Silver Level, Silver Fish, 1995. They actually made another Piranha movie. You probably didn't notice unless you had a subscription to Showtime, but it is a straight-to-cable TV remake of the Joe Dante movie. Starring William Cat and a Baywatch babe. Going to be great, obviously. And Mila Kunis' first role ever. And Solil Moonfry, Punky Brewster. So there's some names in here. Mm, there are names. I got a lot of name calling <laughs> to do. <laughs> so that is for donors of $10 or more on our silver level of our spring-summer donation drive. We hope you can join us because after Piranha, we've got Evil Dead Rise for that level of donation. And then we'll finish off with Piranha 3D and 3DD, all for our donors who keep now playing on the air and allow us to do the shows we do week after week after week. If you follow Venganza Media, you'll notice that, you know, a lot of the other podcasts have dropped off and it's a time thing and a prioritization thing. And it's donors who keep now playing a priority for all of us and able to pay the bills for all of the things that Now Playing requires. So if you can donate, we really appreciate it at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate to keep Now Playing coming out week after week so we don't fall off the way some of the other podcasts have had to. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until Voyage of the Demeter, may the evil spirit be cast out until the end of time. thou exercised, O Dracula, and thy body long undead, find destruction throughout eternity in the name of thy dark, unholy master. In the name of the All-Holiest, and through this cross, be the evil spirit cast out until the end of time. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Listen to them. (laughs) The children of the night. What sweet music they make. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. But even if it would work, do you expect me to agree to anything so fantastic? 
Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. I hope you will like it. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. You do not know why you came here tonight. It was because I wished you here. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Dr. Strangelove, and hundreds more. I want to be what you are. See what you see. Love what you love. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. You always leaving on me in my film. <laughs> Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Isn't eternity together better than a few years of ordinary life? You can donate directly by tapping the support button at NowPlayingPodcast.com. A good prince would have paid that price for peace. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I am the king of my kind. Now Playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. I condemn you to living death, to eternal hunger for living blood. Now playing credits read by Brock. Words, words, words. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. How can you expect me even to listen to you when you're concealing the truth about yourself? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Master, we are here. You can't hear what I'm saying, but we are here. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Your impotent men with their foolish spells cannot protect you from my power. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Good night, Mr. Renfield.
<laughs> and Solil Moonfry, Punky Brewster, so there's some names in here. Mm, there are names. I got a lot of name calling to do. <laughs> is she better than her role as Robin on Saved by the Bell? That's what I got to know. I don't remember that episode. You don't remember? She's the gold digger. She uses, she gets Screech in a codependent relationship <laughs> to buy her jewelry and everything, to write her checks. Who is this? Celine Moonfry? Celine Moonfry, yeah. Well, she was nothing without Gloomer. Is <laughs> that from the cartoon? Cartoon, yeah. <laughs> 